We have a great show today of the Direct Podcast Moon Knight, Episode 3, all of your top news, and we break down the numbers of the universes you love. Time codes get you to where you need to be. Let's get it. Truth is, we need new heroes. Thanks for the lesson. This is the way. In my culture, I am a Jedi. I have birthed a glorious purpose. They're all villains here. Got us united. I'm a superhero! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in, welcome on, and welcome back to the Direct Podcast. We've got a loaded episode for you today. I'm your host, the Fist of Foggy, Matt Rinke, joined, as always, by the yin to my yang, the zig to my zag, the right to my left, my co-host, content machine, Liam Crowley. Liam, how are we doing? I'm fantastic now that Wi-Fi has connected, Matt. A little, little outside mm. the uh, production note for everyone. Uh, Wi-Fi was being a little wonky here at Syracuse University, but we're back. We're back in business. We're ready to roll. And all the universes we love are just feeding us with tons and tons of content, even beyond Marvel, DC, and Star Wars. We just got a casting announcement for freaking Percy Jackson. Music is hot. Pro wrestling is the best it's ever been. Matt, I think we say it every single week, but it truly has never been. A better time to be a fan of the fantastic. It's a good time. It's a good slogan. It's something I am really proud of here on the direct podcast, covering everything you need to know about the universes you love. Liam, a very uncharacteristic multiverse of madness themed episode today. We usually try to stray away from the next upcoming project as we get closer, but there's some stuff to talk about. There's some things to break down, some hopefully some nerves to settle that's going to be my goal today once we dive into it but we got a lot of stuff to go through including the quick question make sure to leave a five-star review on apple or spotify podcast let us know what your question is leave your five-star review you'll get it featured right here at the top of the show just like the golden nugget over on apple podcast that's a great screen name golden nugget i'm a big fan of it sounds like a prop in a quentin tarantino movie like the bad apple cigarettes mm. You know what I'm talking about? So a uh, uh, cinema deep cut there. Um, <laughs> golden, golden Donut over on Apple Podcast. Ever since I started driving, I've been looking for something to listen to in the car. Your podcast lets me relax and focus while hearing all the latest news about my favorite universes. Golden Donut, we appreciate you. And if you just turned 16 and you just started driving and we're what you're listening to, I just realized how professional impressionable we might be which is concerning <laughs> so here's here's golden donuts quick question we know the x-men are eventually coming to the mcu though there are many characters who will work very well on a team who is one member you'd like to see get a solo movie or disney plus show the golden donut personally picks nightcrawler and the x-23 version of wolverine liam mutants coming to the mcu um, the one thing the X-Men universe really hasn't done other than one time with one character is solo projects for different mutants. Wolverine, the only exception. Who, oh, on Deadpool, I guess. Who is a mutant you would like to see get some solo spotlight either on streaming or on the big screen? This is a very interesting question because I look at the X-Men coming to Marvel in a very similar way you do in terms of the potential of having a bunch of different scattered Disney Plus series of various ensembles that then you bring together in your giant X-Men team-up movie. We're talking five characters per series. Then you have your giant roster of 25 come across over movie. But in terms of just going standalone, 
I want to shy away from Wolverine because I think the best way to do Wolverine moving forward is yes, he's a big name, but let's make him a team player. I think that's one way you can differentiate from Hugh Jackman, the same way you can differentiate by going true to his comic colors, making him shorter, making him less of a leader of the X-Men and more of a muscle of the X-Men. So I want to pull Wolverine out. I also want to pull Magneto out because we've gotten so much time with him and Professor X over the years. And fun fact, X-Men Origins Magneto was something that was going to happen if X-Men Origins Wolverine wasn't so panned critically. They just decided to keep riding with that franchise rather than doing a bunch of different X-Men Origin spinoff origin stories. So my lengthy, delayed answer to getting to my pick is just going to be my favorite X-Men. It's Bobby Drake. It's Iceman. I don't know too much about his origin, and I would love to dive into that in a solo movie, but I think a solo series might be a little safer. As I'm talking out loud, Matt, and thinking as I speak, it'd be really cool if we got an X-Men anthology series on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if you could do a six-episode series on Iceman specifically, but you could do one episode, and then you could transfer over to Psylocke for episode two, and transfer over to Sabretooth for episode three, and fill an entire six to maybe even 12 episodes, each dedicated to one mutant's kind of as like a Marvel Legends, Marvel Assembled type vibe and then bring them together in a movie. I think that that could be something cool. I think that could be um, a, a big swing swing in the future for Marvel Studios. You know, they're, they're always looking for the next big task to tackle. And that would definitely be one of them. It's not easy by any means, but if anyone can, right? I got a few comic books I think you'd really love that follow that kind of vibe. Um uh, everything you just said, I, I personally think the way to approach X-Men is a Game of Thrones style series where we get to follow a handful of small groups of different mutants, meet all of them intimately, individually, and then have some sort of coming together throughout the show, leading into a movie, whatever it might be. But to answer the question, um, I think that the thing that the X-Men, Foxman universe uh, kind of failed to do was capture the emotional basis of all of their characters that's something that the marvel studios has done so well specifically with their team-up movies we look at guardians we look at eternals even you know even though you know the script had some issues we got to know every single character on some sort of intimate level something to care about for a lot of those different characters um so i think that's really important with the x-men as well so my kind of thought process behind which ones should get a solo project i think characters that need time to develop and we, get, we need to get to know them in order to appreciate the people they are, those are the Disney Plus characters. Those are the ones that you flesh out across six episodes. But the characters that are a little more primed to tell a bigger story where their attitude or their charisma or their charm or even their name is enough to carry a movie, that is a way that you can, one, introduce a character, and two, introduce an element of mutants to build on throughout the MCU. So characters that I think could use some time on Disney Plus to really flesh out Cyclops, somebody who is a leader, someone who is a um, strategist, someone who's very passionate about what he does in a very militarian kind of way, never really explained or fleshed out in the movies that we've seen so far. Gives Give us time to fall in love with Cyclops, and I think we'll appreciate him more in a team environment because we know he is Captain America for the mutants, and I think that's a really interesting way to handle that character. Characters, I think, are primed to tell a bigger story already. Gambit, just because the charisma, you can pitch it as more of a comedy, more of a Guardian store Ragnarok kind of thing. That's going to crush. That's a great trailer waiting to happen, right? Um, you know, get a Southern draw in the MCU. 
it's never bad, right? It's never been bad. Um, but I also think, um, you know, something that they can learn from the Fox Men series, First Class was essentially a Charles Xavier Magneto movie with Mystique as kind of the middle piece there. Let's double down. Let's do another Charles Xavier movie. Get to know this guy because he's going to be the most important piece overarching throughout the whole thing. The more we know him, the more we can maybe start to hate him down the line a lot of big x-men stories is charles charles xavier not always a great guy you know what i mean i think that's something we need to start accepting i do have one quick thing on wolverine i'm with you that i think him being a b character the emotional core of the team as opposed to the face of the team could be more beneficial to everybody i don't think anyone's going to be upset about that but what if we have an entire first phase of mutants in the MCU leads to an X-Men movie. We, you know, we have this, you know, we are now the X-Men Cyclops is the leader. We know all these pieces, all that stuff. And then we build to X2 where the main antagonist is Wolverine. You know, we've established an X-Men team who vows to handle mutant problems. Well, let me introduce you to this new mutant problem that just popped up. He's Canadian, he's tiny, and he's killing people. Wolverine, the big bad of the X-Men universe, I think could be a pretty awesome thing. Uh, moving on to quick question number two after a very lengthy first question. I, I love talking about X-Men, Liam. It's a fun I just time. love doing it. Um, we get this one from Geo1997 over on Apple Podcast. Hey, guys. Morbius was just awful. That flashback scene where they're Greeks extremely offended me, someone who is ethnically Greek. Um, Greek people not portrayed very well because they're bullying little kids in hospitals throughout that movie. Um, my question, do you think there's ever a chance that Marvel Studios or Disney whoever buy Spider-Man rights back or maybe Sony will just let Marvel take the reins and share the profits? Anyway, keep it up, boys. Thank you, Geo1997. Liam, this comes off Morbius having the second biggest box office drop in superhero movie history we talked last week how it was baseline average results in the first weekend a historic plummet over weekend number two liam do you think there's ever a chance that the spider-man ip makes its way to the house of mouse i think that there's a chance if marvel wants to buy it back but there's never going to be a world where sony just lets them go like unfortunately morbius is one of the only blemishes on sony's record when it comes to theatrical returns for spider-man characters venoms one and two were both a smash success the reason why they liaisoned over to disney after the amazing spider-man 2 was not because that movie bombed still made over 700 million dollars worldwide which is insane um oh they, they just didn't want uh that movie to be making under a billion because it came out the year after Iron Man 3 did it, and they've looked at Spider-Man as a character that is as big, if not bigger, than Iron Man, at least on paper. You know, Robert Downey Jr. versus Andrew Garfield as a box office draw could be debated back then. But the, the point is they see Spider-Man as a cash cow, um, and even if that cash cow doesn't give them the receipts they want, they're still going to break even on these projects. I, I'd be shocked if they lose money overall on Morbius because the production budget was only $75 million at the end of the day. So uh, as long as they keep pumping out these movies and as long as we're stupid enough to go see them, they're going to keep the character. They're going to keep the rights until maybe Mickey Mouse backs the Brinks trucks up and says, here's $15 billion, give us Spider-Man. But for one character, and I know you get his supporting library too, still for one character, they paid $4 billion for the entire Star Wars franchise. Do you think they'd pay 
anything over that for Spider-Man? I really don't think so. I can't imagine. They did make that money back in two movies, though, with the Star Wars franchise, which is a pretty awesome thing to think about. Um, I, as you were saying that, I got a report from our boy Pierre. You want to know how much money Morbius made yesterday in 24 hours? Like $835,000. <laughs> they are already under a million dollars a day, not 15 days after its release. I don't know if it's going to make its money back. I really don't. We're, we're at uh, 57.9 right now. Worldwide or domestic? I don't know that answer. That's got to be that's got to be domestic. Yeah, that's pretty low, right? Yeah. It's just I I don't know if if we get another project that has the same result as Morbius critically, fan wise, and you know also money. I mean, I think we could start to see a slip there in the Sony universe. Like it's a lack of energy around the movie. The thing is, no one was excited for Morbius. Do you think people are going to be excited about the next thing after Morbius? It's it's it. This next trailer for the Sony-verse outside of Across the Spider-Verse is so important to what they're trying to do. What I will say is any movie with Spider-Man in the title, whether that's Amazing Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man 4 with Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man 4 with Tom Holland, Spider-Verse uh, with Shameik Moore, like those movies are going to make a insurmountable profit because they're Spider-Man. But I think after Morbius, they've realized that Craven the Hunter and Madam Web those are not very flashy titles. You can't just skirt by on false advertising in your trailers on these upcoming two. Like you need to actually make a good movie, which I know can be hard sometimes, but I think they're realizing that they got to try if they want to actually cash cow, not just Spider-Man, but all of his friends too. The floor's never been lower. And that's, that's got to be a scary thing for them after what we've been through. But you're right. Across the Spider-Verse is going to make a billion dollars. There's no way around it. That's a hundred percent going to happen. Uh, it's not going to make a billion. Is that uh, is that out of hand to think? What did the first one make? I don't. The first one didn't sniff a billion. I know that. Much. Oh, is that right? I see that. That's me talking out of turn. But, but it, you, it's going to make historic animated money. Yes. Yes. Right. Like like it's hundred percent. It's going to be a smash success. So yes. I it, it's going to be really interesting to see how Sony handles it moving forward. Thank you all for writing in your quick questions. We really appreciate that. Getting those review numbers up really helps us up in the back end. Make sure to be a friend, tell a friend, share the direct podcast. Make sure to join us uh, every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern for our direct podcast, Twitter Spaces pre-show, where we will be previewing and doing a pre-show format for the upcoming content right now it's moon night it's going to end up being obi-wan it's going to be miss marvel one day we're going to just prepare everybody for what they need to know heading into the next big thing so make sure to join us over there mcu underscore direct twitter spaces every tuesday at 8 eastern liam it's enough talking let's get into this is real We are less than one month away from Multiverse of Madness, and Marvel Studios is keeping this one very close to the best. As featurettes and promos keep rolling, it was revealed that press will not be seeing this movie until May 2nd, the week the movie releases to the general public. This type of press strategy is only for the most spoiler-filled movies. And while we are getting more and more Multiverse of Madness looks every day, we still have absolutely nothing from Thor Love and Thunder. Less than three months away, we have no trailer, but the iron has never been hotter. We got toys, we got uh, leaks, 
the Thor trailer is coming. And the Iron Man franchise will live on in the form of Riri Williams and Ironheart over on Disney+. Plus. It was confirmed last week that Ryan Coogler will be taking an executive producer role on the show. And this week we got our directors, Angela Barnes and Samantha Bailey will be behind the camera splitting duties for Ironheart. And moving over to the blue brand, it's a surprising light at the end of the foggy tunnel of the Ezra Miller and Warner Brothers situation. It was announced that Aqualad HBO Max series is now under development. The Aqua Corner of the DCU, ironically, has more solid foundation than most. I love the Aqua Corner of the DCEU. And okay. finally, in news from a galaxy far, far away, Star Wars Celebration is on the way. And while that day will be dominated by Obi-Wan Kenobi, there are more announcements to be had for the yellow brand. We're going to get to speculating. Absolutely. And for everything else you need to know about the universes you love, make sure to head over to the one, the only, the direct.com. What about the people in the back? <laughs> That was a little aqua joke there. Yeah, that? yeah, that play. Yes, that play. Sir. I, I do want to admit something right here, right now. We're not going to get too much into the DC news today. Um, I did say the aqua corner of the DCEU. I do not believe the DCU has earned quarters yet. <laughs> I do think that that is something you have to earn. However, Aquaman movies are just going to keep making money, I think, no matter what's going on around them. Because guess what, Liam? They could be underwater and away from everything else. <laughs> there's, not, there's not much thought beyond it. But, ladies and gentlemen, that has been your top news. Let's dive in first, Liam. Multiverse of Madness. No press screenings until the week of Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, Avengers Infinity War, and Endgame and Spider-Man No Way Home. The only other movies that I can recall had that same treatment they don't want anything getting out on this movie despite what variety might try to do liam closed press week of only how are we feeling about the spoiler aspects of this movie this is a very good thing uh for just fans in general especially with the way that the entertainment news climate has shifted over the past year because not only do we have the situation that went down with eternals and harry styles but people forget Spider-Man No Way Home was also victim to this. Toby and Andrew were confirmed within an article published on a trade that is very reputable, that shouldn't be publishing stuff like that. And so even the Monday premieres don't exactly make spoilers safe, but they tell fans that you only have to mute buzzwords on social media for three days as opposed to two to three weeks. Uh, we were both fortunate enough to see Shang-Chi what felt like two and a half weeks before that thing came out. Absolutely. And it was awesome in the moment to be able to have those conversations and have, you know, friend of the show just on last week, JRB on a FaceTime call where we all discuss this character, but keeping those things internal are, is admittedly very difficult. And even though you understand you have that responsibility when you see these things early, it's much better to not have that opportunity till later uh, because you want to cover stuff up. I also find it funny too of kind of the Marvel privilege that goes around because any other franchise outside of Disney, if they're holding their premiere this close to the movie's general release, everyone's like, oh, it's just because it's bad. And they're they're afraid for critics to get their opinions out and let them marinate. With Marvel, they just go, oh no, there's a lot of cameos in it. That's why we're say, saving it for later. And we all believe them. I mean, why wouldn't we? We It's happened with Infinity War, Endgame, No Way Home, all universally praised movies in hindsight. And it made sense as to why they would save it for the last minute. What I will say, though, is uh, an interesting tidbit about this situation is not only is the premiere on May 2nd 
uh, the Monday before it comes out to the general public on Friday, but press interviews that happen beforehand, they're not seeing the movie in advance. So all questions that are posed, all interviews that are going to be run week leading up to Multiverse of Madness are going to be spoiler-free questions as they should be, obviously, but they don't even trust spoiler-filled answers to get out and be saved in various websites, consoles, until after the film releases. They are doing this like footage screening, I believe on the 28th, similar to what they did with No Way Home with that first 40 minutes or whatever it was. But even saying that, that's gonna vault most of the film's biggest surprises. So if you're worried about Multiverse of Madness spoilers, still very much tread lightly, but Mickey Mouse is on your side for this one. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, we saw this with No Way Home and it was so important to everybody to keep it so tight. And we were all really excited, but you're right. You know, Morbius, I don't think they had any like national press screenings. You know, I know, I know we at the direct didn't really get one um, uh, other than one. We got one opportunity there. Um, but like, you know, it was major cities only for Morbius because like you said, I don't think they wanted very many people to see it. They didn't want the word to get out of the quality of that film. Whereas, as you also mentioned, Shang-Chi, they needed people to know that this is a movie worth going to. This is an unproven IP, unproven character. Nobody knows who Shang-Chi is. Two and a half weeks of people telling you how great it is, that's going to make you want to go see it. They had fan screenings for Shang-Chi a week out, something that Marvel Studios doesn't really do a lot. They did the same thing with Suicide Squad because they didn't want people to think it was going to be the other Suicide Squad. So when you when they have confidence in a movie, they let it out really early. But there's built-in confidence with this movie because it's setting pre-sale records mm -hmm. past No Way Home. Like this one's already making money. You know what I'm saying? Like, so they they don't have to worry about people, you know, am I going to go see it? Am I not? Their sole focus is making sure the impact of this movie is kept. That is usually a good sign, especially when the red brand is behind it. Liam, speaking of a movie that people are going to go see anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder, no trailer. I will not stop predicting when it's going to come out. You will catch me every single Sunday night teasing it. You will catch me every Monday wearing my mask. I will not be shut down. I will not go quietly into that dark night. You cannot stop me. And I am here. Where's my goddamn trailer? <laughs> I love that you were getting into the uh, don't go quiet into that good night poem that yeah. Michael Caine recites, I believe. Is it Interstellar? It's Interstellar. That's independent. <laughs> That's just, yeah, that's the president of the United States in Independence Day. No, no, no. I, you're mixing it. The president, I know that speech. That is, uh, we will not go quietly into the night. We will, we will not vanish without a fight. But there's a, there's a poem that Michael Caine reads. Oh, I see. McConaughey. He probably pulled from uh, he that. He was like, I... do not go quietly into that good night. Rage against the dying of the lights. Like he does that whole thing nice. in an interstellar trailer. Um, yeah, how's my Michael Caine? Decent? Michael Caine's always a great impression to pull out when you want to pull off a little bit of sophistication. And I, I was going to try and segue into a Chris Hemsworth one, but I, I can't even do so. I can't but, even, I can't even touch that. Um, <laughs> this, this trailer, I, it's on the way, right? <laughs> like, the, the, uh, one of the voice actors who dubs over uh, Chris Hemsworth in these Thor movies put a, a photo on his Instagram of the trailer being complete. It just only showed the title card and it said like, it's done, it's finished. Can't wait for you guys to see it. So any day now, essentially, it does feel a little weird to have it even released 
this month at this point because we are in such the middle of multiverse of madness i think it would feel more normal if we wait and really shatter that record and drop it like may 10th and have like a two-month promotional campaign that's all this movie needs at the end of the day though people forget an example i love to bring up when it comes to trailer campaigns and, and marketing uh promotional material the first john wick movie released its first trailer one month before that thing came out in theaters John Wick was a throwaway October release, generic Keanu Reeves action movie. And all of a sudden it became this cult character that now has his whole franchise. He has a whole fandom on Fortnite. People dress up as him for Halloween. And that movie was marketed for 30 days. And it turned into one of the most successful modern action franchises uh, in, in current cinema. So Thor, Love at and Thunder. At least new ones. <laughs> at least new ones, for sure. Uh, at least Thor, Love and Thunder, they can start this campaign, like I said, May 7th in the post credit scene of Multiverse of Madness. And we're, it's still gonna make very close to a billion dollars. I, I have hesitation saying billion, especially in the pandemic era, because Spider-Man No Way Home is still a massive outlier, but this film's going to you know, usurp uh, Ragnarok easily. And uh, yeah, any day now, please. Yeah, it's- I'm being wrong on Twitter. Yeah, I'm not gonna stop, Liam. You can't stop me. I've, 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 I cannot wait till the trailer does drop, and the next day, people are like, can you believe how long it took us to get the Thor: Love and Thunder trailer? I've been here for a month, <laughs> wearing it on my skin. I'm here, Ugh. but Liam, we got toys, and I'm gonna be honest. I usually don't like talking about the toys. I usually don't like talking about material leaks in, um, in these kinds of movies um the uh what's the uh, giant man right you know giant man was only spoiled in a lego set uh for captain america civil war right it was that what i'm thinking it was a six it was a six inch funko pop and people were like well dope why would ant-man get the big figure i want that funko pop though next to all my other ones a giant ant-man that'd be sick um anyway um, so I usually don't dive in, like diving into it, but we don't have a trailer. This movie's coming out, and I want to talk about it. Um, we got a look at some of the Thor, um, Thor Love and Thunder art on the back of the toys, and that's a really good way to get a first look at characters. Um, obviously, more concept art look, but still a look, and a short description of their of their character in the movie. Liam, uh, Ravager Thor, I think, is the talk of the town. We had already seen him in his kind of electro- uh, new modern uh, Asgard armor, Electro's. I, I didn't mean that like Spider-Man villain. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we've already kind of seen him in his modern Asgard armor. We've seen Jane Foster in a bunch of different promo material. Ravenger Thor, though, looking like an 80s bass guitarist. How are we feeling about this look for our boy Chris Hemsworth? Just kind of looking awesome, right? Like, am I crazy? He's, no, awesome. He's, he's awesome. He's a space pirate. He's a Ravager. And what I think is really interesting all this information is, is fresh on the brinks. I wrote an article about it this morning, time of recording. But the idea of calling him Ravager Thor uh, kind of indicates that the Ravagers and Guardians are probably at pretty harmonious vibes right now. I know they kind of have often come together in an enemy of my enemy is my friend situation with Ronin, with uh, the Sovereign, with uh, Ego and everything. But now it looks like maybe the Guardians are a subsector of the Ravager clan. Obviously the Ravagers are not just one group. They're just, they're one giant faction with spinoffs, kind of like the NWO in the late nineties. We had Wolfpack, we had Red NWO, we had the LWO, the Latino World Order. We had the Blue World Order in ECW. So many different uh, spinoffs. Maybe the Guardians are one of those factions as well. And instead of calling him Guardian Thor, we call him Ravager Thor because it just 
sounds a little cooler, a little more heavy metal. And uh, it's clear the time has passed because Matt, if this is the Ravager Thor we open the film with, as we expect, considering it kind of picks up after Endgame, he's shredded. So he's been with the Guardians for a little bit. He's he's shaved off all that fat and he's now back to being a muscular Greek god Thor that we know. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, these uh, these toys are getting me pretty jazzed for the movie. I think the idea of a Ravager Thor at the beginning is going to really supplement a, you know, Ragnarok for as lighthearted and fun and colorful as that movie is most of the time. There are definitely emotional pockets within Ragnarok, but like most of the time it's it's more of an action comedy than not. The opening scene of Ragnarok, yeah, it has the bit, oh no, Thor's in a cage. Like that's everybody's favorite line though, right? Like the opening scene is very dark and cinematic and full of like a, uh, what is it? The fire dragon. Right? Yeah. Like um, the freaking uh, searcher. The, the, yeah, the never ending story dragon, but he's on fire. Um, and so that's kind of like what I think of how they started Ragnarok and how crazy it got. I think we're going to start very fun with Thor Love and Thunder. If we start with Ravenger Thor, I think we get a little bit of drunk Thor going on. I think we, uh, now maybe, I don't know, alcoholism is kind of a part of his character now, isn't it? Ah, dang it. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be a fun guardian scene probably a great action sequence to start the whole thing off and we're going to get a tone shift i like the idea of ravager thor starting off this movie i like that a lot liam christian bale mm -hmm. as gore our best look yet it is 100 concept art so i'm not like over the moon excited about our unofficial first look at gore but that's christian bale like you look at the picture that's his face and that's like you know i see christian bale in that face and the idea that that person who i've watched dozens and dozens of times on my tv screen is now in the mcu couldn't be more excited i well i'll have to look a little closer because i didn't see christian bale's face clearly but i also wasn't really looking for it because i i do kind of like to sure. lose myself in these characters it depends obviously but like when someone like Christian Bale, who is a known name, comes into the MCU, a known name, excuse me, I, I don't know if that sounded like no name, when he comes in, yeah, like his face in theory could be distracting because, you know, we see Michael Keaton and oh my God, that's Michael Keaton. And it takes us a little bit to get used to him as Adrian Toomes. Christian Bale is someone who I love that they're doing both prosthetics and CGI to really transform this guy because it's attuned to how he behaves as an actor. He likes to really uh, transform himself. And while he's said many times that he's past physically transforming himself, like the crazy diets and all that, that doesn't mean he can't transform himself with prosthetics and CGI. So I love that they're going uh, this route with this character. I saw a lot of people on Twitter, um, you know, diehard Gore the God Butcher comic fan. Sure. Too. You know, I, I respect that because it's a very niche character. And I, I love the fact that niche characters are now being brought to the big screen. Like, I'm sure 15 years ago, you would have never thought we would get Gore the God Butcher in live action. And here we are. And he's played by freaking Christian Bale. But people were saying, you know, uh, it, it's not uh, true to his comic origins because he has a nose. And to that, I just say, well, if he didn't have a nose, everyone would be saying Avada Kedavra because this dude is straight up Voldemort already. And if you take away his nose, you would just, people would be dissing him before the movie even fully comes out. So if this is a choice they consciously made to say, hey, we're going to give him a nose to separate him, uh, distinguish him from Lord Voldemort from the Harry Potter franchise, a franchise that will be semi-fresh in the minds going into Love and Thunder because 
uh, Fantastic Beasts comes out in just a week's time. That movie, I mean, I haven't seen it yet. I don't think it includes Voldemort. And if it does, it would be a young Tom Riddle because it's a prequel. But the point is, Harry Potter will be fresh on the minds. And you don't want to associate a character that is so iconic already with a D-list Thor villain and not give him a chance to succeed on his own. Like, we we all looked at uh, uh, what's his name the 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 guy from the Black Order who can move stuff with his mind who was great against Doctor Strange. Oh, um, oh my God! Rip it this off is, your corpse. Um, this is brutal. Uh, Maul. 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 Ebony Maw. Ebony Maw. Ebony Maw. You know it means get lost, Squidward. Like I love that we got that line in the movie because if we gotten that in the trailer, he would feel like oh man, like. You know, he's just a comedic character and he wouldn't feel like a threat. So the idea of giving Gore his own vibe um, and making little alterations to separate himself from any other comparisons, it's a good thing overall. This is what they're talking about when they say things along the lines of translate to live action. Like Mm -hmm. things need to translate to live action correctly. And sometimes that means what works on a panel doesn't work on the screen. And the reality of it is, people's perception of movies does matter when you bring in a villain like that you can't bring someone in who looks like Voldemort guys people said that dark side looked like Thanos he doesn't even a little bit but they're both big green alien things right so so like the the natural connection was just loosely made if you make somebody who looks like Voldemort and play him off to be a bad guy that's getting in there with two strikes man when you adapt to live action these kind of decisions need to be made. Speaking of adapting to live action, Liam, Star Wars Celebration Day is upon us. We will be getting Obi-Wan Kenobi's first two episodes that day. That's going to be the talk for the town. People are mostly going to be talking about what they see in Obi-Wan, but I think Star Wars played a good hand here. You spend the first half of your day talking about Obi-Wan, and then the panels for Star Wars Celebration start that evening. I... I've, there's been rumblings of some big announcements, some big investor day type stuff. We're going to get a better look at the future of the Star Wars universe here. Maybe an Andor trailer. I don't, I mean, a trailer probably not, but like maybe a teaser for Andor could be pretty sick. You know, like something, yeah. some, some footage from Andor would be very welcomed in my house right now. But um, Star Wars Celebration Day, Liam, uh, as they kick off another new chapter with Obi-Wan, who, what, do, what are we anticipating we hear from Star Wars Celebration Day as far as future projects? Well, I would be shocked if we don't get an Andor trailer, honestly, like, like a teaser or, or a clip teaser, yeah. or, or a footage or something. Like this is a show that's supposed to start airing in August. Uh, we're talking about May 27th, you know, cut off those, those four remaining days in the month of May. That means that show is like two months away. Like, of course, Disney Plus marketing campaigns are much more tighter, but yeah, we're, we got to get an Andor trailer beyond the Obi-Wan stuff. Um, Star Wars, to me, uh, I'm, I'm going to say a declarative statement. They have not earned new show announcements or new project announcements. You know why? Because in December 2020, when they laid out their slate, like 80% of those promises haven't even been realized yet. How? What have we heard about Rogue Squadron other than Patty Jenkins dropped it and then came back? Like nothing has developed. Remember that freaking Lando Calrissian series? What is going on with that? Donald Glover, is it live action? Is it animated? Is it Donald Glover? Is it Billy D. Williams? What's happening? Ahsoka, obviously we've got some more cast, casting announcements. We've got some directors on board. That's going to be fun. <laughs> that was announced almost uh, 18 sure, months sure. ago now, and we don't have any footage or anything beyond just a title card. Uh, the only things that have been realized 
since that announcement, and correct me if I'm wrong here, our Mandalorian season two had completed mm -hmm. by the time Disney Investor Day came around and we got Book of Boba Fett. So the one thing from that giant panel they had that rivaled Marvel in terms of announcements has been Book of Boba Fett. What has Marvel done since then? We have to compare them because they were both announced back to back at this day. They did WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier, Loki, What If, Hawkeye in the middle of Moon Knight right now. Ironheart just got its directors. That's getting off, off the ground. Uh, Armor Wars is also expected to shoot pretty soon. Uh, same thing with Echo was announced. Like, why I don't want to announce new shows or new movies for Star Wars at Star Wars Celebration when they haven't developed like the toys that they that they bought got at Christmas in 2020 haven't even been taken out of the package yet. Like you can't get new toys if you don't play with the ones you just bought. So yeah, I hope a trailer. I hope some fun discussion from Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor. But please, no announcements of stuff that's not going to come out for five freaking years. Save it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. Um, it's, it's interesting. You know, you didn't even mention Black Widow, Shang-Chi, it was five of all released and just been a part of our lives already. Like Black Widow came out almost a year ago now. Like it's insane. We're about a month away from the first year anniversary of Black Widow. It's nuts. Um, I, I watched The Last Jedi the other day and um, I am so impressed by how polarizing that movie is. You know what I mean? We talk about Civil War. The best part of Civil War is that both Tony and Steve have a point. You know what I mean? You can see both sides. That's what makes it such a conflicting movie. I feel that way about The Last Jedi. I see so much reasons to dislike that movie, but I also see so many reasons to love that movie. And I think one of those big reasons is the murky lore that the prequels set up, Jedi Order, what they were about. Were they successful? No, they were failures. Why do we want to get back to that? All these different things. Those are some of the meatiest and best parts of what I would argue is the most polarizing Star Wars movie. Um, so I'm I with the Star Wars Celebration Day, rather it's through Andor or different projects they might announce or footage we see from some stuff. I like the idea of diving into some of the murkier parts of the Star Wars lore and fleshing them out a little bit, like in Rogue One, like we're about to get in Obi-Wan. So that's kind of what I'm excited if they do give us anything, more of just like a direction of where we're going, a slate would be pretty cool what if it's just a barrage of released oh that would be that would knock our socks off our galactic socks like we're talking to get we're, off. we're talking stuff stuff they announced previously and just get yes. fleshing those out that's perfect that's perfect because no, 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 no. <laughs> i'm 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 more just talking about um a sense of where we're going with this universe is there mm. an end game in this universe and what does that kind of look like i think a slate with a timeline and release dates could really get that going a little bit get something to get excited about overall not just individual projects yeah before you announce your chewbacca spinoff yeah. series give us a freaking production update on lando okay like that's that's all i'm asking for here i know i, I sound pessimistic here and i'm sure no star no you're 100 right i'm sure star wars celebration is going to be great but like star wars to me they get such a big pass because they're under the Disney banner and they're associated with like the Marvels and the Pixars of the world that do such great stuff. But some of their announcements to me rival uh, what Warner Brothers did with DC way back yeah. in 2014 when they announced their slate of a solo Batman movie and a Flash movie and Aquaman and there's going to be Justice League Part 1 and then Justice League Part 2 and none of it ever freaking happened. And the ones that did happen didn't meet the release dates that they initially announced. So 
again, I just, I, I implore Star Wars to tread lightly and don't execute unless you have a fully cemented behind the scenes plan. Warner Brothers just did that a month ago too. Um, I think, I think make release states the star of the show. That's what we're looking for. And speaking of the star of the show, Moon Knight. The only thing everybody's talking about right now, it's, it's the hottest topic in the Marvel Universe and we can't wait to dive into episode three. Ladies and gentlemen, episode three of Moon Knight has come and gone. We are now in the back half of this series and we are now in the end game. Moon Knight is coming to a close with three episodes left, but three episodes down. Let's talk about the midway point. Liam, I want to hear your overall thoughts for episode three of Moon Knight. I had a really good time with this episode, and it's weird because I have yet to have an episode that gives me that just over sense of emotion that previous MCU shows have given me. I've yet to have an episode where I desperately want to rewatch it. When we did our WandaVision reviews, our Falcon Winter Soldier, our Lokis, what I would always do is wake up in the morning, watch it first as a fan, and then watch it immediately back and nitpick it as a critic and all that. And I've yet to have a Moon Knight episode where I feel the need to watch it twice, but that's not a discredit to this show's vibe overall. The mystery is sucking me in a little bit more now. Uh, I loved some of the choices they made in terms of expanding the lore. One issue I think a lot of people kind of had with this show going into it was the lack of ensemble. The fact that we talk about actors who are in the show, we go Oscar Isaac, Ethan Hawke, and then May Calloway, who plays Layla. And then, you know, it just kind of gets wishy-washy from there. This episode in particular really fleshed out the the ensemble aspect the amount of actors involved in the show the amount of important people in this world that we haven't met before because they're an entire new sector of the mcu so i like what this what this episode did for moon knight specifically uh and its world building um i'm not like in love with it and overjoyed but there are certain moments that made me made me pop and we'll get to that in just a little bit Absolutely. I would agree that there's a handful of pop moments, some exciting ideas being placed, um, you know, that can really go anywhere. And I am, you know, I hope they go the way I want them to. Right. But, you know, who knows? It's all very seed planty. If I'm being completely honest, just like overall with this episode, I was just a little bored with it. And I don't think that's really because of anything wrong with the episode. I just think this is so clearly screaming to people. This is an exploration episode where we're going to really build up the lore behind everything going on so we can utilize that you know that impact later on so just throughout the episode it, it for me what's really interesting like you kind of break uh movies and shows down when you're looking at it critically you kind of break it down to different sectors okay how much do i like the characters how much do i like the story how much do i like the production and then how much do i like the plot what's on the plot is how it's going on the steps taken to get from A to B. And it's just unfortunate for me that the plot of this isn't really enticing me at all. But what's nice is that's the easiest thing to improve because I do love the characters. I do love the story. And this is a great looking show. Um, some editing stuff aside, maybe, you know, it's a little, it's a little quick, but um, other than that, uh, this episode, like I said, in week one, you know, I'm not, I'm not over the moon about this episode, but, but the idea 
of this Moon Knight show, the split personalities, discovering it like a memento style situation. I'm all in. And, and you know, three episodes in, I'm not enthralled with the plot, but I'm still all in on the mystery. And, you know, I'm, it's going to get me excited every single week. So let's dive into it. Let's get into the nitty gritty, the sand between our toes, ladies and gentlemen. <gasps> I was trying to do the, <laughs> you know, the <laughs> when he changes personalities. Love it. Um, I have no idea how that's going to sound in audio. I apologize. One hundred percent appreciate what you were trying to do. At least you know what I mean. I'm excited to see how it plays back. I should have said glass between our toes. Ah. That's what I should have said. That that little sound effect gets me every single time, man. Hearing that little glass shatter, it's creepy. Um, so Moon Knight episode three, I think you know it would be best. You know, like I said, this was a very plot intensive episode where we just kind of you know got explained a lot of things to us. So off the top, let's just run through our characters real quick. Like you said, there's not very many of them. Um, let's run through just kind of where we are. Show. Let's start with Layla. We get a little background of their marriage, their history. Layla is just kind of a second generation Egyptian smuggler, uh, black market Robin Hood kind of situation, right? That's kind of what we're getting at. Liam, what did we think of the Mark and Layla dynamic when it was Mark on the other end of Layla this time instead of Stephen? I will say I appreciate that it feels lived in. I, I know that's a word yeah. we use or a phrase we use a lot when it comes to these relationships of characters that we haven't met before, but. Yeah, the character of Layla, we said it on our Twitter spaces last night uh, as our pre-show going into episode three. Uh, I think myself, you, and Richard Nevins from the direct all agreed that this had to be kind of a prove-it episode for the Layla character. And she didn't, like, overwhelmingly wow me. She's not, you know, shooting to the top of my rookie of the year candidates. But I will say, I thought she had a really strong episode. I thought that this character was able to hold her own against Mark Spector. She never felt like out of place when she was showing up. Sure, we've kind of moved past the she just conveniently arrives in locations that Mark is at. And, you know, she walks up to him in the market or she rolls up on the bike or whatever. That stuff aside, I thought she had a very strong performance. And as a character, I like her dynamic with Spector. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the lived-in comment. They do have a good back and forth when um, Oscar Isaac is able to play that Mark character, the sassy versus sassy kind of thing. You know what I mean? They're both kind of stubborn bull a little bit. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a hot romantic chemistry, but it's also very tension-based. And, you know, it's, it's, it feels like a couple who's been through a lot together in a, in a really good way. And, uh, yeah, I think Layla definitely shined a little better for me here. I'm having trouble pinning this character down a little bit. I was really, uh, um, what's the word? I was really just kind of turned off by her anger toward Steven last week when she was like, stop fooling around. You know, this isn't true, all this stuff. And then now this week, she's just so accommodating to the idea of Steven being there with him. I thought that was just a little kind of all over the place with where I feel about Layla. Hopefully we get more going forward. I'm, I, I'm just not out of all the side characters we've gotten in Disney Plus. You think about your Tiona Prince. You think about your uh, Mobius. You think about, um, hell, even the, uh, the uh, uh, Echo from Hawkeye, um, I think Layla is definitely falling to the bottom of my list of those like perennial Disney plus side characters. But, you know, she's got a lot of potential to move up just based on her backstory. It's dope. Egyptian Robin Hood. I'm here for that. Um, moving on, Mark and Steven, definitely a lot more of a symbiotic relationship here. Obviously, still a lot of friction. Steven doesn't want Mark to do certain things. Mark doesn't want Steven to do certain things, but they're communicating. 
uh, Mark sees an advantage in having Steven in his head. What with all the knowledge he has about all this stuff. Now that the dynamic has kind of cemented itself, but also repositioned itself with Mark at the front and Steven in the back. How do we feel about this voice in your head thing? I'm, I'm loving the split personality uh, execution here. I think it's the strongest point of the show. Yeah, I love the direction they took the split personality uh, in this episode, particularly because I was wondering after the conclusion of episode two, what's the use for Steven moving forward? Is he just there to kind of play up yeah. the fact that this character has dissociative identity disorder? And no, actually, it's a brains versus brawn scenario. They need Steven in order to find out some of the clues going on in this series and then also he's not just of use or he's in a very limited use when he's just a reflection he actually needs to take over the body and these two are realizing that they need to work together in order to actually accomplish tasks at hand and that means steven compromising when it comes to mark being a little more vicious as moon knight and that means mark compromising when it means steven needing to take over the body and actually do handiwork with regards to his brain rather than just speaking this is what you need to do from a reflection so I, I like the idea of both sides of them being necessary in order to accomplish what they're going for yeah and I think that you know just throughout the episode I think the highlight moment of the show so far it's very subtle it's very small but when they show Mark turn into Stephen all on camera, no cut. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? They don't do an edit. They don't do the mirror switch. It's not a turnaround. Watching Oscar Isaac go from frown to less frown. Like he didn't frown and then smile. It's like he's just grumpy Mark Spector and then just a little more enlightened, but also a little more timid Steven. That transition, one shot on screen, that was wonderfully done. And like I said, the split personality bit is something I, I found myself just a sucker for it. That's that's my thing that has hooked me on this show. I don't care what problems I have with it. I'm hooked on that. Um, I'll say it for me personally, TASM vibes, where the, the stuff going on around the movie is, you know, okay, it's fine. It's interesting enough, I guess. But what I'm really looking at the whole time is the main character. You know, you know, I like I TASM movies, fine. Andrew Garfield, incredible this moon Knight story fine oscar isaac unbelievable so like that's kind of the vibe i've taken these last two episodes and i love watching oscar isaac it, he's incredible and he even got to do a little bit of the uh podameron thing in that fight on the roof there like well we got dance we got to fight what, what are we doing here yeah. i love that it felt like a callback to me you know what i mean like what you talk first i talk first um lastly arthur harrow Truly not a lot going on with him as a character until the very end of this episode. Liam, what do we think about the development of this kind of uh, legacy avatar as he's coming to be in this show? Well, I'm frustrated that the council of the gods and everything and the avatars didn't see the truth for what it is but at the same time i'm glad they didn't because then our show is over after three episodes right sure. like we, we need to have some sort of distrust and at the same time arthur harrow is an incredibly convincing and subtly charismatic cult leader like he's able yes. to deceive a bunch of avatars and gods into this idea that Spectre and and Khonshu are the ones who are actually conspiring with Amit and his reasoning makes sense it like he's like this man is not well and his way to like stay calm under a pressure like that something that was probably unexpected all of a sudden he's summoned to this council Ooh. and he's just <laughs> like oh no this is what's going on this yeah. is the truth 
and watch take take Conchu out just talk to Spectre this man is not well and yeah like I wouldn't even call it deception because he he the way he said it and all I would have believed him if I didn't know the context of of the show uh, around him and yeah like I said it, this idea of him having this built-in follower base when the show started because we didn't know him at the time we didn't see it happen in real time there was a little bit of doubt of like did this guy really summon a giant cult following of just everyday people now seeing him speak to people of power and remaining calm and doing his kind of like you know, I know X-Men Apocalypse is frowned upon, but man, when Apocalypse just goes up to mutants and just goes, you are all my children, like stuff like that. Like, I, I understand why people want to get behind this guy. And uh, yeah, Arthur Harrow, he's bad news moving forward because he knows what he's doing is wrong, yet he's still married to it. And that's a dangerous person. Yeah, uh, you're wrong. You think you're right. It makes you dangerous. Um, that's a good movie. Um, it's Yeah, for Arthur Harrow, it's all about the game and how you play it. Right. You know, that's really kind of the cerebral assassin approach he's taking here. A lot of Triple H nods right there. Nothing from you personally. That's just it's offensive to me. You know what I mean? I just made, the, the Triple H nods? It's all about the game and how you play it. The cerebral assassin that is Arthur Harrow. He's playing the game sure. uh, with the gods, <laughs> whatever. He does have like a slight um, kind of. <laughs> That's a fair point. I actually went on a run the other night of naming as many kind of hammers as I could. Go look them up with seven. That seems like a lot, though. Types of hammers, right? Um, mallet was a big was a big revelation for us. Ball pit is nothing we thought of. A little doctor hammer that <laughs> they hit your knee and your knee pops up. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, with Arthur Harrow, it's, it's frustrating for me, um, just like you said, uh, the whole council thing, I think we just get into that now, I guess. The whole idea of the council being introduced, and this is now a this is now an entity that maybe can come back later and can be used later on. Maybe we were just introduced to something very important moving forward. But I just didn't love the idea of the council being something that Harrow was so easy to manipulate. And it just, I don't know, they felt they just felt like they were there to tell Mark Spector he was wrong, right? And it's just it, I, I know he's been there before. He knows more than Mark about what's going on. What's up? Well, I, I just, you know, I, I we only briefly touched on the council and the idea of them being wrong, usually I would have an issue with, but there's a certain franchise I like when gods are summoned to a council and it's very evident they're flawed and they're egotistical. And, you know, if they have feuds within the gods, they're not going to listen to reason from the other gods. They usually look at outsiders and go, well, does your opinion align with how we believe? Yes. OK, we're running with that. And it's often leads to giant wars that threaten the world. So a lot of Percy Jackson vibes from this god council summoning going on here. And the outcome of it, too, because I'm familiar with how it goes in the Greek mythology, uh, young adult novels, I did think it was aligned with at least this modern imagining of how gods are portrayed in the human world. The fact that they're flawed, they're egotistical, and they don't like Khonshu, and they're looking for a reason to not like Khonshu. And when homeboy Arthur Harrow comes along and just says, no, you shouldn't like him. Look at how crazy his avatar is. They're just going to believe it. They're not going to ask further questions. So I thought that to me, that made sense. I understand from just a general perspective, this all powerful council already being deceived the first time we meet them kind of does, you know, lighten the right. mood a little bit. Yeah. I, I just think that, you know, that that's a really good point there at the end, but also just in the, in the idea of Arthur versus 
Conchu, I guess, you know, Conchu being Mark and Steven and everybody embodied in the Oscar Isaac character, the, the, the tension between uh, Conchu and Arthur, when he's gets brought into that council and it is such a laissez-faire thing for him, you know, the, the suspense of these two being pitted against each other, I think was just kind of washed in that scene. And then you add on the idea for me, somebody who doesn't know anything about Egyptian mythology, you know, this, this all powerful council, I already know is getting duped again, just a little lack of tension there. And I just think it kind of takes the air out of the, uh, the plot. And that's kind of where I just take issue. Isn't the right word. I don't think that there's anything bad or I have a problem with anything, but the entire plot of this show so far is the race to Amit's tomb. And I just don't really understand the impact of that, the way they're cutting it up. I thought the scarab was the, the compass to Amit's tomb and, and Arthur Harrow got there and he started digging, but then we find out it's actually this map on this sarcophagus for Senka, Senku, Sen, a lot of names. At this uh, one, um, I can't even, I just, the sarcophagus though, the, the sarcophagus. sarcophagus yeah. yeah. So, so we had the scarab as a compass to get Arthur Harrow there and he starts digging, which told me he was there, but then we find out that the map is actually in the sarcophagus and Arthur Harrow follows uh mark and layla there as well you know just the the whole race to amit's tomb is kind of confusing to me and i'm not really enthralled by it i know it's it's silly to i don't even know if it's silly we try not to compare things to things in the past because moon knight is its own thing and we should treat it as its own thing as we should but at the end of the day this is an egyptian an, an egyptian adventure mystery i've been watching that movie my entire life in indiana jones and and you know just kind of the the excitement behind the mystery chase of all this egyptian lore architecture um archaeology archaeology stuff you know i just think that i i remember that being more fun in indiana jones and with this race to amit's tomb i'm just not getting any of the tension that i'm hoping to get out of it because it is so just kind of arthur and and uh Khonshu just moving around piece by piece i don't really know what's important is kind of what I'm trying to get at. I'm not sure what's important as far as getting to Amit's tomb anymore. Yeah, I, I, I hear that because I, I do think, you know, the the scarab was the MacGuffin of this show, right? And it's already been transformed to like, oh, well, there's not really use for it anymore. Now it's actually a bargaining chip to get something else from other guys that are coming in. It It's, it's weird. I, I like the idea of you know, what we thought was the crux of the show already being played out to completion by halfway through. But at the same right. time, it's like, are, are we, what are we filling that with now moving forward? And are we going to keep jumping around from, okay, first it was a scarab, now it's a sarcophagus, now it's this starry map or whatever. Like, that kind of stuff feels a little wonky. Um, but if they all unite by the finale, I think we might look at it retrospectively and have a lot more sure. appreciation. Yeah, and, th and that's kind of the that's kind of the reason I'm not down on this show at all. I'm just very neutral about it because the plot is the one element of a movie or show that you can improve very quickly. You know, week by week, you can get that plot ramped up pretty quick with just one big twist, one big surprise, one big I didn't see that coming uh, situation going on. And now the plot's right up there with the character and the story and the production that I love so much. So um, call it an anchor at this point. When they pull it up, though, we're moving. We are moving, and I'm really excited about that. Let's move on to the Egyptian God stuff. Um, we already talked about the council a little bit. I took it off the rundown here, but is there anything else you wanted to talk about? We got the dance God. 
which was kind of cool. She was pretty awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, the Council of Gods inside the Pyramid of Giza. I loved seeing how excited Stephen was about that. Yeah, that was really cool. I love yeah, whenever we venture into pyramids in any type of film, TV, show, whatever, it's always really cool. And the Council of the Gods, like I said, I loved. I was waiting for some sort of MCU side character to be an avatar. And I'm not talking about Hawkeye or or Echo or anyone who's like a hero. I was, I was waiting for like a side character from like a movie that we had forgotten about. Remember when that scientist came back from Iron Man 1 in Far From yes. Home all of a sudden? Something along those lines. Of Ralphie. Like, oh, yeah, oh my God, freaking, you know, the guy who was the, you know, mailman in Cap Winter Soldier uh was uh a deity for freaking yeah anubis like that's like, bass it could have been really cool yeah that's a big ticket but that could have been dope yeah um yeah. but yeah i i dug uh what we got here and i hope now that we have these avatars established i hope we see them pop up in other films and tv shows moving forward because they are being perceived as observers rather than uh, influencers on the human world and you just imagine if we see one of them in the background of you know I mean I think these are all candidates to return in Werewolf by Night that Halloween special in the fall I think these are all candidates to show up in maybe even as soon as a Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness who knows but like uh, yeah I, I wish it was the other way around where it was one of them was someone we already knew but at the same time I'm looking forward to these new characters that we now know showing up elsewhere because they're observers. And when they show up like the watcher, something's going down. Yeah, and, I, and it, it's uh, it's kind of an eternal thought for me when I think about this council. I like the idea of them being there. I like that they're now a chip. I like that they're now a player on the field. I just wish their introduction had a little more oomph to it. Um, and, you know, there, there's a Disney plus five to that too. You know, they all just kind of walked in. There wasn't a very cinematic entrance to any of it which i think kind of played a part of it but um definitely an awesome piece on the board moving forward a very cool x factor as we get into more uh supernatural stuff very timekeeper-esque sure uh, yeah timekeeper eternals um this council all you know we're gonna hang back and just watch it go down um it's yeah it's, it's all got a similar vibe but i like the different pieces um across the universe honestly handling different things you know what i mean they, they have a reason uh, to be stepping out of what they're stepping out of. I, and uh, the only other Egyptian god thing I wanted to touch on, obviously kind of the big cinematic moment of the episode they needed. They, so uh, they, they got the map from the sarcophagus and they have to align the stars a certain way to create some sort of compass situation with the iPad, which I buy. That all works. I think modern day archaeology, Liam, you know, it's 2022, 2024 even. Let's get it. Um, <laughs> Uh, but the stars have shifted, not very much uh, as far as stars go, but enough for us to be a few miles off one way or another. Loved that explanation by Steven. Steven's the best character of the show. I won't hear differently. Um, and then Conchu turns back time in a real Celine Dion situation. And um, it was cool looking for sure. What do we think of the uh, turning back the clock uh, with Conchu and just kind of the appeal of it? This was the visual effect that I think is the poster child for this show. I sure. loved this. This the cinematography was so cool. And the way too that I you know, it's so frustrating. We both I think we both had issue with uh last week when he's fighting the invisible 
Jekyll and all that. And it was just like, why can't the real world see it? And then I brought up the Percy Jackson thing of like, well, in Percy Jackson, there's the mist. Maybe there's a mist type thing in the world of Moon Knight. I love the idea that, you know, some things are hidden to the outside world. But when you're changing the sky and going back thousands of years, everyone can see it. And just like looking up and seeing how fast when dots move really fast and then they just become lines the same way like a fan when a fan starts and first you can see the propellers and then all of a sudden it's moving so fast it just looks like a giant circle. I love the idea of stars moving so fast that they're like the rings are just showing up. And while it's happening, you can pinpoint the stars of the constellation that they're actively looking for, which I thought was really neat. So, yeah, this visual effect, we saw it in the trailer. We've seen still images of it leading up to the show's release. And man, did it not disappoint. I believe that's called centripetal force is when something's moving so quickly, it becomes a different shape. Um very cool. I saw a video of a camera being dropped out of a plane the other day, like a GoPro, and had the same thing where, like, you saw it spinning as you go, but eventually it just turned into a very slow picture of everything going on. Awesome effect. Um, I think I think everything about it, I think, played. Um, I like that Mr. Knight came back while Steven was in control. That kind of proves uh, what I was worried about last week. Um, you know, we're not going to – it's not going to be a one time we see Mr. Knight, now we're done. We definitely have a distinct – um suit for each side of the mark and steven coin and that brings us oh my favorite part of uh this episode and my favorite the thing i'm most excited about moving forward the third voice there there it, it became clear to anyone who didn't know in this episode that there could be another player inside the body of Mark Spector. Um, you know, I, I don't want to assume anybody knows what's going on in the comics. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you see on Twitter a lot, like, Oh my God, it's happening. Here's the context for anyone listening who doesn't know in the comics, Moon Knight is a encapsulment of three different personalities. Stephen Grant, the uh, uh, in the comics, he's kind of a rich guy, but here they're obviously playing him as the timid Ross Geller type um movie. there's yes yeah so so they definitely switched up the Stephen grant part right mm-hmm. and then there's mark specter who's the mercenary the spy the you know the the james bond of the group uh, so to speak and then the third voice there is a third voice named jay clockley and he's the taxi driver he's the ear on the ground he's a smooth cunning um a little more of a street smart kind of guy within the three of them and they've been planting small seeds throughout the show of a third person potentially being there the most distinct one to me anyway is in the first episode somebody asked that girl out on a date and it was to a steakhouse so it wasn't steven i don't think it was mark because mark seems to be a very one track minded individual in this show who asked that woman out on the date here in this episode we finally see mark do what steven did in the first episode where he blacks out and something happened that he didn't know and we all know steven's not doing these things you know, just based on what they are. So the idea of a third voice, most likely Jake Lockley, couldn't be more excited because this one seems like the troublemaker of the group. And I'm all in on that. I'm all in just for the fact that I hope it means another Moon Knight suit. I've seen uh, different (laughs) iterations on the comics where, you know, the two Moon Knight suits we have right now are very stained white. I'd love to see one that has a lot of white, but also plays with some black trimming as well. I think that would be pretty dope. And uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, pretty obvious that we are going to get a third uh, side of the Mark Spector, Stephen Grant split personality and make it into a 
What's a what's a three word for split? A triad. Triad. A tri- nice. A triad of personas. Um, and yeah, I think that's a, a reveal that probably doesn't come until episode five, just because they do penultimates kind of like that. And maybe that's the last shakeup. Maybe that's the finally Steven and Mark are on the same page. And then all of a sudden we have to deal with the third guy. And I want, yeah, how, how does the third guy differentiate? Because, you know, Mr. Knight is very, uh, you know, d- keeps his hands away from violence. Moon Knight is very happy to get into the violence. Where does Lockley fit in? Like, is, is his version of Moon Knight even more hyper-violent? Is he somewhere in the middle? Is he more of a strategist? Who knows? But I think it's, uh, it's definitely coming, and it's going to add a new layer to the show uh, that's going to make it really intriguing as we hit the final stretch. For sure. I'm already in love with Oscar Isaac playing two characters. I can't imagine how great it's going to be watching him play three. You know what I mean? I'm very confident he can pull that off. I can't wait to see it go down like that. As far as like if we do get a third suit, which it, it would be crazy if we did, right? Because there's no leak at all of a third suit. You know, there really isn't anything that I can think of that I've seen that hints at a third suit. But if we do, you know what I'm kind of hoping? Like you said, more of a, a stark white, very bright white even um a uh, uh, little red riding hood hood and cape combo where maybe it's like we don't see the face and always sees the white eyes like in the comics you know what i mean the face is buried in the hood and then like you said more of a black uh bodysuit i think that would be so sick and uh it's exciting it's definitely exciting i think they could definitely pull it off because we did see that one image that surfaced of the moon knight costume last summer um, it's the screenshot of the ending of the first episode when he's in the bathroom and all that after destroying the jackal. We never saw a single, you know, leaked image of the Mr. Knight suit. We never saw any leaks of, you know, the Sam cap suit aside from like toys. We didn't see actual still images of it. So, sure. you know, I, I, I think that there is reason to believe that we will get a third Moon Knight suit and they've kept it under wraps. This Enjoy. also on that, on that note too, sorry to cut you off this, uh, this show is the shortest uh, amount of production Marvel has done for a series so far. They hmm. didn't have to do the amount of reshoots they had to do were minuscule by comparison Small, to Falcon, yeah. WandaVision, Loki, Hawkeye. Like this is a very tight, tightly mm-hmm. ran show. And, you know, we, we've heard rumblings of maybe a Mark Ruffalo, rumblings of maybe uh, an Agent 13 showing up, but nothing uh, in terms of pictures to give us that idea. For sure. Um, uh, I think shooting in Africa really helped that a lot, too. A lot of this was shot in Egypt, I think. Um, not a lot. probably wrong. But I think there was a lot of on-location stuff for on-location type scenes. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, with the suit. I think Julia Louis-Dreyfus has proved that they can hide almost anything. You know, the fact that we didn't know she was in that show is huge. I mean, that's one of the biggest comedians of all time. And we didn't know she was going to be in Falcon Winter Soldier. So I think that that raises my confidence to be surprised by anything at this point. Right. Um, so the last thing about kind of the story here before we move on to more supplementary type things, um, I do want to just shout out the idea of Conchu being in this. Um, what, what is it called? I'm sure there's a name for it. Relic. Sure. Statue. Yeah. Little little totem guy. Totem. That's exactly okay, the word sure. I was trying to get to. Totem. Conchu, and he knew it too. When he turned back time, Celine Dion, what's up? Um, when when he did that, he said, you know, hey, tell Mark to free me because they're gonna mess me up for this. And they did. They they immediately did. 
Um, so he Conchu's trapped in this totem. Arthur Harrow talking to him at the end, I thought was really cool. Great way to kind of get his feelings out. Give us a little bit more of him. I wanted more, but it gave us a little bit. Um, do we think that Mark, Steven, and whoever else is in there has the powers of Moon Knight with Conchu trapped behind closed doors? That's a really good question. Um, I think his that- suit goes away. His suit does go away as Conchu gets shut down. That's a really good question. And I, I would be shocked if he doesn't. Maybe he just doesn't have the guidance but yeah, like, I don't know. Also, Stephen Grant is less experienced. Like his Mr. Knight suit goes away. He also had the most trouble summoning that suit to begin with. Sure. So if Good Mark Spector switches in, maybe it's a lot easier or, or, you know, ideas flowing right now. Maybe neither of them can summon a suit, but one guy they know can for sure is Jake Lockley. And then that's when that factor comes into play where maybe Jake Lockley's Moon Knight suit has the least to do with Conchu. Maybe he's mastered it so well over, you know, a decade plus of experience that he understands how to do it without the help of his Egyptian deity. So yeah, I I think, I think you might be onto something there. It's just a white and gold Iron Man suit at the end of the day, (laughs) (laughs) like, which would be sick by the way. Why haven't they done a white Iron Man suit? That's that's Supreme Iron Man uh white and like baby blue but there's yeah. there's the the one he wears in space in the comics right yes yeah yeah his astronaut suit or whatever. The, the original rumored post credit scene of iron man 3 he was gonna fly <laughs> into space and meet the guardians which yeah. like i don't it would have been sick to see but in the context of how he would know they're out there and how long he would have to fly like what <laughs> plus tony stark and peter quill on screen together when we got it was yeah, perfection. People sleep on that dynamic so much. Um, uh, so yeah, it d- does Mark, Steven, and whoever else in there have powers? I think that's kind of my biggest question moving forward. Um, you know, I would be a little perturbed if they trapped Conchu in this totem and then immediately let him out. Um, like in the first couple scenes next week, that would bug me a little bit. But hey, we're gonna see what happens. Everybody's talking about episode four, Liam. You know, episode four is the big, the big talk in reviews. You know what I mean? It was a it was a get to episode four and things really start happening. I can't wait to see what goes on. Liam, is there any action cinematography vibe stuff you wanted to point out from this uh, episode? Anything that caught your eye? Uh, the hand-to-hand combat with Mark Spector on the roof when he's not Moon Knight was exceptional. Really dug awesome. that. Cinematography, obviously, of the stars being turned back was awesome. Uh, and just Egyptian life as a whole. Uh, the score was phenomenal. Uh, they're crushing the score. Uh, yeah. And I love how how much they're emphasizing that this is, you know, by Egyptians for Egyptians, not saying it can't be enjoyed by other people, but the amount of stress Marvel Studios put on to having authentic Egyptian filmmakers and composers working on this show, I think is really being reflected. And for that reason, it feels authentic. I'm never doubting that this is a score or, or a scene set up or just a set in general that is fabricated. It feels like it would in our real world, which is what we're going for, right? You know, Stan Lee, the world outside our window, like that's what Moon Knight is doing right now. And I love that. Yeah, it's a, uh, I, I obviously, you know, straight white guy. I don't really have a lot of context on this different cultural situation outside of America. But um, it feels to me, based on what I've seen online, 
people talking about the Egyptian authenticity in this episode specifically, it feels like Shang-Chi. It feels like when they played that Philippine hip-hop song and our boy Aaron Eichmel went nuts. You know what I mean? He felt so excited to hear that song and see his people represented there. That's what this felt like to me, and that's what I feel like when I go online and people are talking about how great the Egyptian qualities of this was. And uh, it's just really cool to see. Um, I agree, the hand-to-hand combat on that roof was very well done. I just realized I'd never seen Oscar Isaac do that. <laughs> you know, it's either a blaster or he's apocalypse for me. That's, you know, in Ex Machina, you know, he's he's not doing the on top of a roof. That's where, yeah, that's where the Indiana Jones vibes came up. Obviously, you know, with the sword and the homage to Indiana Jones here. Did you catch it? Are you an Indiana Jones guy? Not really, but we're talking about using a gun when the sword comes up. Yes, dude. When the guy starts licking his sword and Oscar Isaac just pops him in the face. One of the best action moments in movie history is when uh, Harrison Ford comes face to face with an Egyptian swordsman. And he's doing this crazy dance and Harrison Ford just pops him. Han shot first it is awesome. Very cool. Um, the Moon Knight action, I like. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of moon battering things. It's a lot of that, and I'm getting a little – I'm not tired of it. Obviously, it's cool looking. I do wish there was a little more brutal bruiser vibe to it. You know what I mean? Like, I try. I think of Thanos systematically breaking down the Hulk. I, I kind of want Moon Knight to do that. You know, just make quick work of a guy in three punches kind of thing. But uh, moving forward, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of it. Um, let's do lines that matter first because I think there is a line that matters that we need to talk about. Liam, lines that matter <laughs> oh my god lines that matter and i'm so freaking excited for this one we did it <laughs> we did it ladies and gentlemen welcome into lines that matter where we break down lines of dialogue that we think are important to the moon knight franchise there's usually something narrative there's usually something easter eggy no this is a straight up callback and we are hype about it liam what word did you hear today well, Matt, uh, you know, this is an audio podcast, so no one can see us right now. But I didn't wear this shirt by accident when sure, we hopped on sure. these mics today. Uh, Rocking my Falcon Winter Soldier threads because a line uttered in this episode was after Madripoor. I'm sure you two will have a lot to talk about. Oh, my God. Oh, Matt, I've been waiting to go back to Madripoor desperately. And sure, we're not there yet. But this is our first verbal spoken mention of it since Falcon Winter Soldier, that episode that aired on April 2nd, 2021. Yes, I'm obsessed with that episode. I love it. It's everything I've ever wanted in a Disney Plus edition of MCU content. And the idea that, you know, she's a thief. She's a crook. She's, you know, a second generation swiper. And of course she would be in Madripoor. (laughs) And at the same time, an article, I don't know if I wrote it or someone else wrote it, but way back last summer, Agent 13, uh, not Haley Atwell, uh, Sharon Carter, played by Emily Van Camp, was Mm -hmm. rumored to have some sort of role in Moon Knight. This name drop of Madripoor makes me, you know, think that it could actually become maybe a reality i don't know how she would factor in i don't know if it would be like a quick turn like we got with the dora milaje getting involved in falcon winter soldier or if it would be a simple cameo of her coming up to pick up like a relic or something i don't know 
But, you know, say what you will about uh, the, I don't even remember the name, the grand investor. Power broker. The power broker. The grand investor. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the power broker and the reveal sucked. We all agree. But at the same time, she's a major player going forward. And I think her showing up in this show, if it's not forced uh, to bring in some Madripoor ties, I think we would immediately forget about all the baggage that came with the power broker stuff and just be happy to see a character that we, you know, are familiar with translating to a show that has been super, super standalone. And let's go. Yeah. I, I, you know, what's funny too, before I toss back to you, leading up to that name drop, I was seeing the skyline and hearing all the words Layla was saying. I was like, man, I miss Madripoor. Like I was, mm -hmm. I knew we weren't in Madripoor, knew we were in Egypt, but I was like, this is giving me some Madripoor vibes right now. And then they uttered it. And I was still like half asleep as I'm watching this episode. My eyes were open, but I wasn't like fully engaged immediately. That's my caffeine. I hear the word yeah. Madripoor. I'm like, oh, whoa, what? Let's, yeah. let's go. Let's move. Yeah. First big pop for me in this entire show. It was awesome. I can't wait. I, I'm so enthralled with the idea of Madripoor being a piece on the MCU board and just the way they introduced it. You know, like we got a very small taste of it, but we all know exactly what Madripoor is in the MCU based on that small taste, which is a, such an awesome thing that they've done now to where I hear Madripoor and I'm hype as hell. And I, I think it was last week, two weeks ago, uh, we, you know, we were talking about like, how do we get back to Madripoor? What character is going to be our vehicle to get back to Madripoor? And we talked about Sharon Carter. And I said, when we discovered that or epiphanized that, I guess, I was like, oh, Sharon Carter just moved very high up my high breakings because she is our key back into Madripoor. Layla, another character that I'm just not in love with right now, she is now also tied with Madripoor moves way up my list like immediately you know what i'm saying like sharon carter and layla their their credentials in my brain madripoor and i can't wait to get back there man so awesome what a great name drop remember when people were like oh this isn't even a part of the mcu you know there's not <laughs> gonna be any come on man phase four slaps phase four gets it and it's awesome um so that was lines that matter we'll hope to have something a little more important to the narrative next week but um Liam, moving forward, moving into episode four, like I said earlier, kind of the big one. This is the one that um, press who has seen it, um, me and Liam have not, um, but you know, people who have seen it said this is the this is the big one. This is the one that really turns the show on its head a little bit. What are we looking forward to next week? Uh, I want that cliffhanger. Like I know, like yeah. I'm gonna regret it next week. I'm gonna regret saying that for sure. But I want that one thing that makes me want to just jump up pop on this microphone, write a theory article, and literally count down the hours until next Wednesday at 3 a.m. I want something like that because I feel like the show has just been missing it so far. And, you know, WandaVision after episode three, we were getting those like every single week. Loki, those episodes like two through five was every single week. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for that one game-changing cliffhanger that makes us just go, we need episode five right now. Yeah. Yeah, it, and, and that's that's definitely the energy I want. You know what I mean? I don't know if I necessarily need it to be like the last scene, but I need something that really just picks the energy up of the plot. Like I said earlier, the characters, I'm loving. The idea of the show, awesome. And it looks like it's really good looking show. The editing is just a little all over the place every now and again. But like that's, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a freaking film guy. I can't really like speak that too much, but I have noticed it, which I think speaks to it a little bit. But um, it's just this this plot, the story, the the race to Amit's tomb. Like I, I'm excited to care more about that, and I'm waiting for that 
bolt of energy into that. And I think that that could come in the form of this third personality. I, I have just been enthralled with how, are, how they're executing the split personality, the talking into the mirror, the way that they do the eyes rolling back blackout thing the way that they brought it back for mark specter here where when that happened i was like wait what's going on like i i that was the first time i sat up the entire show because mark was in control and he did the blackout thing did steven do that why did steven do that and how was he not dead as a result of it you know what i'm saying like i that that was such an interesting callback weirdly in episode three we're calling it a callback right but like, I love how they executed that. I can't wait to see them add another piece to that. And that is by far the star of the show to me. And I'm, I'm so excited for more of it. Moving forward, episode four of Moon Knight will be next week. I cannot wait to dive into it. But for now, let's dive into the numbers of the universes you love. Last week, we broke the news or talked about the news or discussed the news that Multiverse of Madness will be coming in at 120 six minutes we talked a little bit about what that kind of means we figured let's take that small little topic and dive a little deeper liam we have a direct discourse usually when i introduce a topic like this i want to pitch right to you because if not i think i'm going to talk a little bit too long but let me set the stage a little bit here we we talked about multiverse of madness 126 minutes I have a few averages, a few different benchmarks throughout the MCU to give us a frame of reference. What does 126 minutes really mean? Let's set that stage and then let's dive into it. Also, I have a list pulled up right here. If you need to know the runtime of any MCU movie, you let me know as we discuss. All right. I got it all right here. So Multiverse of Madness, 126 minutes. The average MCU movie comes in at 132 minutes, six minutes more. The average phase four movie, so any project post-Infinity Saga, 143 minutes, 17 minutes longer than Multiverse of Madness. The average sequel in the MCU, so the second movie of a franchise, just like Multiverse of Madness, coming in 128 minutes, only two minutes longer than Multiverse of Madness. The average non-Avengers movie, so if you take all four Avengers movies out, just like we do when we talk rankings, just like we do when we talk narrative and box office, all those things. It kind of doesn't count because it's an Avengers movie, right? All non-Avengers movies, 128 minutes, just above Multiverse of Madness. And then the average event movie in the MCU. These are movies I deemed as event movies. Those are all four Avengers, Civil War, and Spider-Man No Way Home comes in at 152 minutes, 26 minutes longer than Multiverse of Madness. Liam, I want to go to you. Do you consider Multiverse of Madness an event movie? Absolutely. It feels like the the bridge between whatever Avengers 4 and 5 are, and before anyone brings out pitchforks, it feels Batman v Superman to me in the sense that that was a lead-in movie directly to Justice League. That was a Justice League prequel. It's in the subtitle, Dawn of Justice. Multiverse of Madness feels like whenever we get that Avengers movie that has the multiverse as the central plot point and likely Kang as the central antagonist, I believe we're going to look at Doctor Strange as the 1A to that film's 1B. The similar way that Infinity War and Endgame are directly linked, but Infinity War isn't a setup movie for Endgame. Infinity War is the event movie, Endgame is the fallout and then the resolution. 
what about Civil War ahead of Endgame, of of Infinity War? I would say that is the prequel to Infinity War. Uh, also a, a very very good point the only the, the pushback i'll have actually uh, no not even pushback civil war and ragnarok and guardians right. volume two all serve the same purpose because yeah. of the way the characters are scattered and all that so I, I really like that point as well uh multiverse of madness though i think because people get caught up in what the runtime of cap civil war was i think that's the comparison cap civil war came in at a cool two hours and you know still would deliver the same movie i think people look at this runtime and like oh yeah no it makes sense it's not an avengers movie why would it be two and a half hours but when cap civil war <laughs> when cap civil war did two and a half they were like oh my god freaking out and me included i was a little pushed back on the runtime but not only was your article super beneficial to easing some of my nerves just thinking about it more like <laughs> two hours is still a long time in the movies people forget yeah it's it's something that i i think i briefly said last week on the podcast when we were just kind of reacting to the runtime i then wrote an article it's become kind of something i'm pretty passionate about about this movie I'm looking at this runtime as a benefit for the event movie that it is. Yes, I agree that it's an event movie. I don't think any event movie outside of maybe Endgame, which had an event movie to set it up. So that's like, you know, <laughs> that seems like cheating. You know, that's like uh, <laughs> we have more wins than you if you count our last two seasons and only count your one. <laughs> like that's kind of how that feels. WrestleMania did more impressions than the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was also 10 hours collectively over two days. What do you expect? I am so happy you're on my side with that. Um, beyond happy, actually. But uh, Multiverse of Madness, I think more than any other event movie outside of Endgame, has had setup for so long. Think about the three main characters of the movie, Doctor Strange, Wanda, Wong. Doctor Strange was just a B character in one of the biggest movies of all time. That's, that's a lot of development in that movie. Wanda just had an entire series dedicated to her character growth and putting her in a position that is frightening for the rest of the narrative in the MCU. And Wong, we have learned more about him in his brief time in two different projects over the last six months than we had throughout the entire first Doctor Strange movie. He's the Sorcerer Supreme. He's a fight club coordinator. He drinks and karaoke's to Hotel California every now and again, which is a great karaoke song, Wong. I get it. But going from Beyonce to Hotel California, the depth of this man's musical taste is insane. Something I think we don't talk about enough. So the three main characters have been aggressively fleshed out, not just overall, but recently. And then you look at the idea of the multiverse. Four of the nine projects in 2021 for Marvel Studios had something to do with the multiverse. So not only are your three main characters, but your main plot point has been fleshed out, teased, and built up throughout the last year, calendar year, not just phase. Last 12 months, we've gotten a lot of multiverse, a lot of strange, a lot of Wanda, a lot of Wong. I think that makes the runtime more reasonable. Not just reasonable, it makes sense. Yeah, I completely agree for, for many reasons. And beyond that, too, people talk about a short runtime possibly not being enough for an event film like this. But a long runtime, like, what's the point in making a long product just for length's sake? Like, mm -hmm. if they cut out 20 minutes of fluff from this movie, would we rather have those 20 minutes more in? Probably selfishly as fans, because we just like enjoying these movies. Stop. But, like, <laughs> if it's going to affect the pacing, if there's, a, if there's a lull of time in the original cut of this movie that makes you check out for a little bit, of course you want to take that out. At the end of the day, this is Multiverse of Madness. This is a mostly set-up movie, I would have to imagine. Shouldn't they want us to be left wanting more? 
Like, there's no, there's not going to be resolution in this movie. Are you kidding me? We are going to end on one of the biggest cliffhangers in MCU history. I'm just saying that out of pure speculation, but I know how Civil War ended. I know how Infinity War ended. I know how even Cap Winter Soldier ended with the Bucky tie. Like, I wanted to know what happened next with the Winter Soldier immediately. And that movie was what? A little over two hours, two hour, 10 minutes. So sure, it wasn't as big. Winter Soldier? Winter Soldier, yeah. 136 minutes coming in 10 minutes longer than Multiverse Madness. Okay, well, still, that's also a character that was completely like, redone since 2011's Cap uh, First Avenger. Mm-hmm. And they also, here's a fun fact for you, the First Avengers movie was almost significantly longer because they spent so much time in Act 1 acclimating Steve Rogers to the modern world. Stan Lee's original cameo in that movie, he plays a waiter where Steve Rogers is sketching a little, uh, the uh, the Empire State Building or whatever it was, you know, paying tribute to in the comics. He's a bit of like a sketch artist at times. And the waitress comes by, the one who goes, Captain America yeah. saved my life. That scene almost had a little bit more weight to it because she comes by, she takes his order and Stan Lee turns around and goes, ask for her number, you dumbass or something. Yeah. That was the original Stan Lee cameo. They cut out that whole section of Steve Rogers getting used to the real world because it hurt the pacing of the movie. They wanted to keep it moving and we got the freaking Avengers out of it. It made a billion dollars. It was the first film to cross 200 million opening weekend. It, we, we all won in the end. So the idea of cutting out fluff because it hurts the pacing, I'm all about. Right. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Now, that's not to say that it does, it, it very, it drastically, you know, by roughly 26 minutes, it drastically increases the chances of doing something too fast. That 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 happens all the time in movies. Uh, an example, I would say, Ant-Man and the Wasp, 118 minutes. I think people would argue that you didn't flesh out some of the Quantum Realm stuff enough. So when Michelle Pfeiffer just heals somebody at the end, it's a little jarring because you're not really sure exactly what's happening. That's a movie that maybe could have benefited from a little more room. But let's look at the people making this movie, Sam Raimi. His average runtime for a movie Sam Raimi has made ever, despite genre. Horror movies are typically shorter, but, you know, despite it, his average runtime is roughly 112 minutes. That is 14 minutes shorter than what this movie is. So Sam Raimi is working with a lot. In fact, Sam Raimi's longest movie he's ever filmed, Spider-Man 3, the one that had too much stuff in it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, It's the one that fit too much into one. And I think that's a great example of maybe a shorter runtime means that one, we hit the ground running and we are off to the races within the first 10 minutes of this movie. And two, we are going to get the meat. We are not going to get anything that slows us down and we are going to be taken on a ride as opposed to taken on a journey. I think Multiverse of Madness is going to be more of a ride than a journey. I got some numbers for you, Matt. You ready? Got some stats. I came prepared. I came prepared with numbers outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Bring it. Mo- I, I, got, I got some questions for you first, though. Which movie do you enjoy more? X-Men Days of Future Past or X-Men Apocalypse? Days of Future Past. He said that very quickly. Man, is sure. I'm also very sure. I've been, Days of Future Past is one of my favorite comic book movies of all time. Well, yeah, Apocalypse is trash as well. There's that, too. <laughs> for sure. That, 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 that also helps. Uh, I like Act 1. Act 1 has some redeemable qualities. But Absolutely. I completely which, agree. <laughs> Days of Future Past or X-Men Apocalypse? This is a blind question. I, I don't know if you know. Which one is longer? Um, I would guess Days of Future Past because it's doing more. Well, you'd be wrong. X-Men Apocalypse is longer. Crazy. How much longer do you think it is? 10 minutes. 13. Jesus. X-Men Apocalypse clocks in at 144 minutes. Days of Future Past, 131. 
Days of Future Love Past bought two generations of X-Men together in one movie, spanned multiple different timelines, reset the X-Men continuity to a satisfactory level as of 2014. We were all pretty happy come the end of Days of Future Past. Satisfactory was the perfect word to use there. Thank you. Uh, Not good. Then, uh, <laughs> satisfactory. <laughs> then X-Men Apocalypse came around and tried to do way too much at once. Tried to be an Avengers Endgame level for the mutants and bring in Ensobot Nur and then do his origin story while also flashing forward to modern day. And then we got to sneak Wolverine in there because there's never been an X-Men movie without Wolverine. So we got to bring back Hugh Jackman for a scene that feels super out of place. Then we got to bring in William Stryker for no reason. The point is, uh, longer does not always equal better. And X-Men Apocalypse versus Days of Future Past, uh, I think that is a pretty good comparison when it comes to easing some tension about Multiverse of Madness. Days of Future Past, just five minutes longer than Multiverse of Madness. I love that. And that you're right. That's an incredible way to look at it. It's And a lot of the worry, which again, I, I think is granted. It's the risk of this being rushed. Rushed is kind of the four-letter word, right? You know, mm -hmm. that's the one we're all scared of. We don't want this movie to feel rushed. Um, the risk of this movie being rushed is substantially higher than if it was 136 or like Eternals came in at 156, 30 minutes longer. 10 characters inherit almost, right? Um, I think that a lot of those concerns come with what this movie has to do. How can it do what it is going to try to do in that amount of time? flesh out the multiverse dive into different versions of different characters this that the other let's think about movies who have done some crazy things in within five minutes of multiverse of madness i'm going to start off here the guardians of the galaxy is five minutes shorter than multiverse of madness and it very it, it introduced five different characters in a very personal and intimate way that made us all care by the end of it that's a lot to do in one movie it did it in five minutes less thor ragnarok featuring not just thor and hulk but two different worlds that have two different events going on and they have to deal with all of it together only four minutes longer than multiverse of madness so there's another one uh ant-man and the wasp comes in at 118 that movie explained the quantum realm yeah i agree not very well but it did it in it let eight minutes less than multiverse of madness what i'm saying is there's plenty of examples in the MCU of complicated and busy storylines getting the job done in relatively this much time. And people forget perennial top five movie, Thor of the Dark World, did it in just an hour and 52 minutes. Yep. Yeah, it sure <laughs> did. And and I just, I wish we couldn't gotten a little more of the Dark Elves, but it comes <laughs> in at 112, the shortest movie in MCU history. Dark Elves, uh, Disney Plus series. Ooh, there you go. Malekith, the Disney Plus. I do have one more number for you, Liam. Hit me. The movie that explains the multiverse existing, magic, sorcery, and the idea of different dimensions in the MCU. Doctor Strange. How many... It's, it's, it is shorter than multiverse and madness. By how much, would you guess? Shorter. It is shorter. I'm going to go six minutes. Hmm. 11. Doctor Strange, the movie that set all of this into motion and explained magic, a concept that is so complex, but also handled so well in the MCU that one of everybody's favorite movies, it literally has a forget me spell. 
did it in 11 minutes less than Multiverse of Madness. You add in another character, sure. You add in um, maybe a more complex situation than just magic. What about magic in other universes, etc.? You got 11 more minutes for it. I think that this movie is primed to not only be a great movie doing what it's trying to do, but the pacing we are going to we're going to find we're going to find it hard to find a scene we don't like in this movie. Magic with a kick. Magic with a kick. Come on. <laughs> I mean, that's just good stuff. And that and that meant something to us. Magic. Magic with a kick. That was funny because they set up what magic is. I guess Earth has wizards now. You're right. You're right, ladies and gentlemen. Multiverse Madness, only 126 minutes of your time, so why not go see it three times? Get this thing in box office glory. Let's hang it in the rafters, man. Back to back. Another thing that I didn't even talk about. MCU movies that follow event movies, traditionally shorter. This will be the longest MCU movie to follow an event movie like No Way Home ever. Every post-Avengers movie. Um, hold on. Pause for Iron Man 3. The only... The only post-event movie in MCU history to be longer than Multiverse of Madness was Iron Man 3, and it was only four minutes longer. Yeah, strange. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All short. And, and uh, even um, uh, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, 129 minutes. Yeah. Falling up, up endgame. So there's reasons to believe it's going to crush. Please let us know what you think of the runtime, and make sure you go see Multiverse of Madness. This will probably be our last time talking about it until the primary, yeah? I think so. Maybe. Maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, before we get out of here, we're going to try something new. We're going to make an attempt to compact our primer episodes a little bit so we can spend less time catching you up and more time breaking down what we think is going to happen. But we still want to catch you up. We still want to let you know where these characters have been and where they're going to be now. I've been rewatching WandaVision, Liam, in preparation for Multiverse of Madness. So what we're going to do is a little Multiverse of Madness mini primer, where we're just going to talk a little itty bit about some different character stuff as we get closer to the movie. So I've rewatched episodes one through three of WandaVision so far, my first time since they were released a little over a year ago. This show's awesome. Um, Some scenes that I think we forgot, Liam. Remember the dinner scene uh, Mm -hmm. from the first episode? That was crazy. The theme from the second episode? What? Division one, the division bop. Remember, one division, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, Dennis, the mailman, yeah. Remember when he was like the topic of conversation for a week? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember, Dottie, Mephisto, <laughs> Mephisto. Remember, drunk vision, flourish, fantastic. Remember when Wanda said no and rewilded everything? Terrifying, terrifying. Not as terrifying as when Wanda heel turned at the end of episode three and yeeted Geraldine right out of the bubble. Some favorite moments that I've thought of while watching it. But Liam, what I've noticed in these first three episodes is how much they committed early to making Wanda a tragic hero. She's obviously going through some stuff and they show it right away in these first three episodes. Knowing what I know now, I see she is dealing with some crazy emotional stuff And she's doing it in a very extreme, radical way. They've committed so much to her being a tragic hero. As we go into Multiverse of Madness, Liam, what do you think we can expect from Wanda's psyche after WandaVision? Where do you think she'll be at mentally? I think we're going to get a ton of empathy when it comes to Wanda Maximoff. And I point to 
Uh, a recent trailer that, you know, probably I, I say this every time, probably will be the last one I watch, but we'll see what happens. But obviously it's the TV spot where we get the reveal that the Maximoff kids are going to be back. Tommy and Billy will be in Multiverse of Madness. And the uh, monologues between Strange and Wanda run parallel, where they say they've been having the same dream every night. And I believe we're going to get some Wanda-centric scenes, which really establish some sympathy for why she wants her family back and um that's the embodiment of a tragic hero right there like she from the get-go is going to have this one mission to get her kids back to reunite her family and she's going to do it at any means possible regardless of who has to die in between and i i think uh, yeah if that's how they take this character i think it's an appropriate next step and it does allow her to blur the lines between heel and babyface yeah, and I think that blurred line, that that coin flip, the Danny Targaryen thing, I think mm-hmm. that ambiguity of Wanda's trajectory is really important. Um, you know, that I think back to Rise of Skywalker and how hyped we all were for that movie, it was because we didn't know what Rey was going to do. We didn't know how Rey was going to take her path with either Kylo or Luke in the light side. They ended up going with the safe play and made her the hero. Game of Thrones did not do that. Danny was a bad guy the entire time and at the end. Wanda, I think, is going to have a similar choice in front of her. What's going to be really interesting, Liam, I think obvious is the wrong word, but I think that the timeline being broken in Loki is a snap event for everything we've seen. I think that's the reason Doctor Strange's spell didn't work in No Way Home. I think that's the reason Wanda randomly heard uh, Billy's voice while she was diving through the dark hold and di- delving into the multiverse of madness. So I think when Strange goes to Wanda for some advice, I think Wanda might be two steps ahead because she also felt something and realized something is different. So I, I, I genuinely think when we first see Wanda, it's going to be in a friendly atmosphere. I think Wanda is going to have a knife behind her back the entire time. I don't think that Wanda is going to take her foot off the gas, take her eye off the ball. I think it's it's all mission all the time. And I'm just curious to see how long it takes Doctor Strange to figure that out. That is so cool. Like that just melted my mind. The mm-hmm. idea of the snap has already happened and we're seeing little remnants of dust across the universe. Right. But we don't know why. Like we don't know, like retrospectively, that makes an MCU rewatch so cool if that's, a thing like the we just passed the threshold of that moment in Loki. We've already seen the ramifications. We just didn't know it yet. Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. uh, and and, and we got we got two characters, Wanda and Strange, who are looking to explore why that has happened. Why could Wanda all of a sudden hear Billy? Why does Strange's spell not work? That's not how that's supposed to happen. The most important line, in No Way Home, as it pertains to Doctor Strange. I think, you know, I think both of them are going to be seeking the why. Wanda because she wants to get her kids back strange because this is his thing he needs to know how why this didn't work they're both going to be heading toward the same goal I think in very Magneto fashion it's two characters with the same goal different intentions and and the Magneto of the two Wanda in this case they'll do anything to get that answer Cannot wait to see how Strange and Wanda approach what's going on together. That is something we're going to dive into more and more as the weeks go on. Ladies and gentlemen, that was your top news. That was a couple of quick questions. It was a Moon Knight episode three review. That was a discourse. That was a little mini primer, and that was an episode. Liam, whew, what a run. 
What a run that was. Very excited. Thank you all for coming. We really appreciate you listening along. We love this community. We love doing this. Um, you know, we do it for nobody, but we are glad that you guys are following along and we do love things outside of the universes. You love Liam. What has happened in your life lately? Uh, well, we got our Percy Jackson, as I mentioned Woo! at the top of the show. Mr. Walker Scobell, you might know him from the Adam Project, where he played a younger version of Ryan Reynolds. And while I have not seen that movie's uh, full runtime, I have seen his scenes on YouTube in the days since. And man, does this kid have it. I'm so freaking jazzed at this news. I very much have likened it to Tom Holland being cast as Spider-Man because people forget Asa Butterfield was the runaway favorite to be Spider-Man back in 2015. He already had Hugo under his belt, a movie that was directed by Martin Scorsese. And he ended up losing to this unknown kid named Tom Holland, who just had a movie coming out about Moby Dick called In the Heart of the Sea, where he was like the fifth or sixth build star behind the legs of Chris Hemsworth and Killian Murphy. But the point is, Holland was holding his own with A-list talent like Thor and Scarecrow. And this kid is holding his own against A-list talent like Deadpool, Hulk, Gamora, Jennifer Garner's in there too. Uh, you know, obviously not those characters, but we're talking about Mark those Ruffalo, actors, yeah. Ryan Reynolds. Like, this is not nothing. So I'm so happy with this news. I'm so happy they cast a 13-year-old. We're going to get to grow up with this kid just like we grew up with Daniel Radcliffe in the Harry Potter movies, just like we are actively growing up with Tom Holland. And a uh, huge shout out to anyone who tweeted me over the past couple of days about this news. To, to be even like associated with, oh my God, Percy Jackson news come came out. I want to see what Liam thinks. Like I say that very humbly. That is the coolest thing ever. Please keep doing that because this is the franchise that got me into entertainment to begin with. Before Marvel, it was Percy Jackson. I read those books when I was in second grade. I was at Lightning Thief opening night with my shirt and my Camp Half-Blood, uh, my Camp Half-Blood t-shirt, my uh, uh, Riptide pen and everything. And to like see it now actually being done hopefully to justice as Rick Reardon intended is really, really special. Uh, and I'm excited to ride this wave of fandom with a new generation of fans as uh, the production commences, trailers come out, casting announcements arrive. And when this series eventually drops, week to week releases are gonna be unlike anything we've ever done before. It'll be very cool, very exciting. Just like Stranger Things, that's my weekly rec. The trailer's dope. I don't wanna take any shine away from what you just said, but. A lot of great things happening in the world of fantastic. Please make sure, be a friend, tell a friend, let them know. We are here to just talk about the things you love, hopefully. And hopefully we do it in a way that you love to hear it. Thank you all so much. We'll see you next time. Yo, that's a great scene in a great game. A lot of great stuff. That's not coming down. Whatever. I think you look a pink vibe going on. Yeah, so my like third outfit of the day because, like I said, different hats. But I'm let's deep breath it. <laughs>
You're right. That was, that was the most shallow breath I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. You just half-assed that entire bracket just now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. See? It feels better, right? I'm going to pull up the rundown on my laptop. Love Two monitors too. going on here. Nice. For fun. Um, I have one big monitor and one vertical monitor that's also quite large. There we go. 